Hey there, I'm Stevie, a musician from New York City and the host of This Next Song's About. This is a podcast for songwriters and music fans alike. In this podcast, I will take you behind the scenes for a closer write their songs, what their career's been like, and I'll also try to uncover some of the secrets of the music industry with music experts from across the nation. In today's episode, I had a wonderful chat with an artist I was introduced to by some friends in the DC area is known as the man with the golden pipes. The Alexandria Virginia native and eight-time Whammy nominated and three-time Whammy winner is a consummate showman and charismatic frontman. Giroux's professional credits include backing four-time Grammy winner Michael Bublé with President Barack Obama as well as performing the national anthem for thousands in DC's most prominent professional sports arenas. Giroux joined me to talk about his new track, Shoulda Known Better, his writing and rewriting process for a remix of the song, and how 2020 has changed his outlook on life, and we go into his advocacy for mental health within the Black community, and what's coming up in 2021. Jero Williams, it's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Mr. Eight-Time Whammy nominee. Yes, and as of Sunday, now three-time winner which is pretty cool. I didn't know you. I'm so behind the times. Congratulations, Mr. Three-Time Whammy winner. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I thank you. I appreciate it. I'm still, I'm still shocked myself. So it's, but it's a, it's an amazing achievement. And I'm just happy to see like what, what the DMV is doing for music and for a lot of artists like me who are, you know, making it independently and trying to make it and just want to make great music, you know? So I, I'm just thankful for that opportunity. Yeah, it's a wonderful local thing that happens. And I like I I've saw it pop up and I was like, this is really cool. It's it's such a shame, like certainly New York doesn't do anything like that. I mean, I don't know whether New York's too big or too broad to do anything, but it's a shame and it would really promote local music, which is obviously the point of it. I, I know some regions have their their share of awards for songwriters and for artists. And um, you know, I think one of the points of the the whammies which is like the DC version of the Grammys. Um, you know, one of the points is just to make it clear that the DMV is right up there with any other major music city, whether that be, you know, your New York, LA, Nashville, Atlanta, either one of those places, we, we're right there too. So, you know, I'm happy to see what they're doing with it. There's a lot of great music in the DMV, if you like, and in DC. I've, I've you know, come down and done a few shows in DC myself in the good old days. And I was really, you know, one, it's it's not necessarily just by the caliber of the artist, but also just by the crowd of people that will go to a show. There's a different vibe in New York. I think like going to a so far show in New York is like, you know, people just it's like a date night thing. I think people are less interested about the music specifically or like following artists. I do find it a, a harder place to pick up new fans. But I found in D.C. it was much, much better. People were really, really like into it and they found it an experience to to go and find new artists. Is that your perception of the the crowd down there as well? Yeah, absolutely. Especially a so far show. I I love doing so fars for what you said. I mean, now some people do treat it like a date night, but they're treating it in that way, like that they want to go out and, and relate and connect to local artists and even, you know, artists who are, you know, traveling from out of town. I mean, I, I, I love that about that type of, um, that type of space. It's set up to be very intimate. It's set up to be, you know, a very like listener friendly crowd, um, 
which I love. And it's it's like you're not just playing to the wall. You know, there's actually people there who are truly invested in what you're bringing because nine times out of 10, they don't even know who's going to be there until they get there for some people. So I think that's also a nice surprise for people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. It's 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 a really unique experience. And I, you know, I've also been heartened to see what they have been doing during the pandemic. And, you know, so far has really suffered from it as well. And well, I can come on to that later, but I have been really heartened to see some of the things that they've been doing to support artists because that's, you know, they only work hand in hand with the artists. Like that's the only way that they create shows and everyone gets paid. So it's lovely to see. Right. And I mean, and the cool thing is they've been doing, they've had a lot of uh, like some master classes and Q and A's during the pandemic, uh, you know, as a way to keep people involved. And yeah, I, so they, they're definitely trying to do more outreach, especially until they can open the doors again and, and have more of these like intimate shows again. So I, I love the fact that they're, they're trying to stay connected with, their artists and their community. And it, some of the stuff that they've had has been very helpful just in terms of, you know, just learning little things here and there as we're sitting at home. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started in music as well as the, you know, DC music scene. And I know that you mentioned earlier that uh, you have were also an actor, whether you still are and how that all ties in with your artistry and creativity. Yeah. So I've been singing for uh majority of my life and the DMV is home. I'm originally from Alexandria, Virginia, you know, which is 10 minutes from DC. And I've been in, you know, I was in the choir uh, from like third grade through my freshman year of college. I always love performing. Uh, it's just something about it, just like the energy of it and just the, the excitement around it that I would get. And, you know, I've been in some musicals in high school and, and uh, when I was uh, nominated for a Cappy, which is kind of like the high school version of the Tonys, that to me was like the start of saying like, OK, maybe I can do this as a career. Mm-hmm. You know, so then when I went to college, I didn't get into theater right away. I, I felt like something was missing as I was uh, a psychology major and took a couple of theater classes. We had to go see a show as a requirement. And you know, from the moment I sat down in the theater to get ready to watch the show, like the show hadn't even started yet. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. Uh, I just knew without a shadow of a doubt. And so became a double major, graduated with two degrees in, in five years. And then when I got back home, it was just like, go, 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 going to auditions, you know, doing film, TV, industrials, did some voiceovers as well. Um but I, I knew like in doing all that, I still love music. You know, I still loved making music, writing, uh, songwriting. And uh, it wasn't until probably about 20, 2014 or so that I, I said, OK, well, let me just start to learn this and let me see what happens. And so I, I, my dad's friend is a musician and has his own studio and all of his equipment in his basement. So like every Saturday for about a year. I went over there and we just learned like little things about recording and just kind of what it took to be a a full-time musician. And then 2016 was when I really went all in and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do an EP. There's about four songs called the golden age. And then I had my first ever original show 
that year. And then ever since then, I've just been going all in on music. I left my corporate job two and a half years ago and, and became a full-time musician. And ever since then, it's just been this constant hustle, this constant grind. You know, mm-hmm. been in wedding, been in wedding bands and just doing like overdub projects and writing projects, collaborations, you know, birthday parties, weddings, all these kind of things, you know, obviously with the bigger goal in sight. And then, you know, here we are now in 2020 and all that happened then. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and this is, this is what I love. I just, I just love it. I just love doing what I do. That's a great story. And you've not really been doing it that long full time. No, like I said, I, you know, it was kind of like that I was working full time, but then also like inching my way along uh, in the process. So, you know, like a lot of part time stuff. Again, I got into the the wedding band industry in 2016 as well. So, you know, like really started getting accustomed to that corporate style of, of music. And then in addition to that, obviously, like writing songs and writing lyrics, you know, about anything. I haven't been professional. I haven't been like, you know, full in for too long. But I think the the intangible was just that I just never stopped. You know, I just never stopped creating. I never stopped hustling. Like I never stopped putting in the work and just having a positive attitude with everything I did. And just, you know, really showing people that had that put their trust in me to, to get the work done, that I could do it and do it really well. And I think just from those things, that's what has equated to more opportunities and bigger opportunities. And I'm I'm just grateful for all of that, the good and the bad. You know, it's one of those things that everything is a learning lesson, you know? Yes. And, you know, doing wedding bands, I'm imagining that's a huge just learning experience and curve and like drunk people that you've got to handle. And like you've still got to be so good that you're recommended because that's how that industry works. You've just got to be recommended to, to other people. Learn and just learning all genres. I think it helps you have a, a greater appreciation for music, but then also recognizing that music is still very similar, even though you're singing different genres, that there are a lot of similarities in, in the, in the different genres. So yeah, I, I'm, I just have a greater appreciation for it. And again that that lifestyle and that that work ethic that goes into what we do Mm -hmm. now your music itself is is there's such a lot of like nostalgia to it there's a lot of like throwbacks to the kind of like 80s 90s r&b which i love um it's really really fun um can i assume that you are an 80s or 90s child i am born in the 80s i was born in 87 so yes i'm born in the 80s child of the 90s however you want to say it but yeah, I, I, my music is, is exactly that. Like it, there's a lot of 90s, early 2000s references in there, but there's still like pieces of that like 70s, 80s soul in there. You know, those are the artists that my parents listen to. So of course, I'm going to take some of those influences too and be, you know, have have some uh, have some inspiration from from those artists too. But yeah, a lot of my music is like very, you know, 90s new jack uh, like that 2000s, like modern pop R&B style. And I just love wordplay. Wordplay is like, because I think when you can relate something to like a pop culture reference, it immediately gets people hooked because they they really see how you tie it all in. So I just, I don't know. I just, I've always loved writing like that. Yeah, there was some, I, w- I was watching a few of your videos and there was like, there was something that I think was like an Anita Baker cover and it had a real Stevie Wonder vibe for me. Which is really fun. Yeah, yeah. We did uh last year before the pandemic, we did five cover videos that were really meant to 
kind of showcase that style and and the the artists that influenced me, but also as a way to invite more corporate clients who may have been looking for, you know, a wedding band or, or some type of band to play their event or something like that. But as I found, it grew into this whole thing of just people seeing who influenced me and just seeing the style uh, that I like mm-hmm. to perform. Yeah, that's all those artists tie in together. That's, you know, kind of the, the mold, if you will. Okay. Well, tell you what, on that, on that note, um, we're going to listen to one of your songs, Should Have Known Better. So would you like to tell me about this song? Right. All right. So we all know pandemic or not, dating is just very hard. We know that. So this song, I originally, the original that I wrote came out in uh, 2019. I originally wrote that from a place of, you know, you're really interested in somebody, but you know that's, that someone is already interested in somebody else. And you see it like all the time. You see them pursuing them and the person that they're pursuing doesn't really want them, but you want them, but they don't want you. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. So I really wrote that song from like an underdog point of view, just saying that I want to take this chance and I, you know, I should I'll go after it, but I know I'm already going to lose. So it's like, I should have known better than to do that. Whereas this remix that I just released this year, you know, it's, it's more from a, a more confident perspective. It's it's more of like a, I'm not just going to take second place. Like I'm telling you why I'm the best choice. So it just really like flipped the script. I like it. I like it. Okay. Well, let's take a listen. Yeah. 
and tread so softly Until you took the air right out of me uh, And now I'm sinking fast Trying to find my way like a compass It must be witchcraft All the spells you cast in uh, But I'll see you through your hocus pocus When a fresh sad to say uh, I wanna buy a book Girl, the way you play the game is superior No fear in your exterior Award winning Pulitzer uh, to think we could ever be together for eternity Had to be too blind to see Should've known better what was for me waiting for another drop there remix to the there remix <laughs> that was fun thank i really enjoyed you, that and you. it's like from what i've listened about your music it's obviously it's the club version but it was just really fun it's like i could totally listen to that driving yeah I, and that's uh that's kind of what i like for my music it's, it's one tagline that i that i love saying is uh who said sad songs had to be slow you know that's something Indeed. that that i'm like uh, you know a lot of my songs as i started writing kind of came from this like came from a very underdog attitude but i wanted to make it so it's like not every song had to be sad it, it could have a, a message that may seem like oh okay well he's in this type of place but still have a fun beat to it and a like a very upbeat vibe to it and you know something that people can latch on to so I had a lot of fun writing this remix i think i was like i think it was thanksgiving that I wrote this remix and I was just sitting at the ki- at the dinner table with my family and had like some words come to mind and, you know, just started going and then just, you know, put it down in my, uh, when I started recording and everything. So. Oh, cool. There, there was some lyrics in there that I, I just wanted to highlight and just two of my favorites. One is old flame got no game. Your old yeah. flame got no game. I love that. <laughs> And the other one was uh, was a reference to Hocus Pocus and the Sanderson yes! <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines of that whole song. <laughs> I was like, is anybody gonna is anybody gonna catch this? Is there are they really gonna catch it? And I don't know what drove me to to bring that up, but it's just the sense that like when you're really into somebody and you already know that they're not into you and you're trying to like get past them, it's like what spell are you putting on me that I cannot, <laughs> I can't quit you. And so that's where the Hocus uh-huh. Pocus line came in. And I'm, and, and it was like a cool tie in too. And I'm not trying to like, like boast, but sometimes I surprise myself when I write because it's like, I went from witchcraft to Hocus Pocus to Winifred Sanderson and it used the line, like from the movie about the book and then ended up on Pulitzer. Like, you know, cause I was like, whoa. I was like, I don't know if people are going to catch this. Like, sometimes I feel like <laughs> my writing is like a little too intellectual, but I, mm-hmm. I hope that that's like what people will catch and, you know, just have something that they can connect to. So I'm so glad that you said that <laughs> and that that's one of your favorite lines. Well, maybe, do you think it was maybe because 
it was Thanksgiving, so it was a few weeks after maybe you'd rewatched Hocus Pocus for like the 30th time. Maybe. It, that might have been. I, you know, I just that movie has been in my life for such a long time. And it's like one of those things, it's like you can't just like it's not Christmas until you watch The Grinch. Like it's not Halloween until you watch Hocus Pocus. Agree. Completely agree. That's where I'm at. Some people may think differently, you know, but that's just that's me. Or the nightmare before Christmas on Halloween or Christmas, I, whichever you prefer. I, I'm like, if it's Halloween, I got to watch Hocus Pocus. If it's Christmas, I got to watch The Grinch. If it's Fourth of July, I got to watch Independence Day. Those are like my, those are my <laughs> holiday movies. Netflix watch parties with Jero. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love a Netflix watch party. It's like, mm. I mean, it's a pandemic. Look, there's there's been some silver linings to come out of the pandemic. I will say that Netflix watch parties are one of them, you know, just to be able to sit mm. back with your friends that you can't necessarily be in the same room with and, you know, enjoy a movie. Just pick something out and be able to, like, text each other or talk to each other while the movie's going on, because it's something you're not going to do in a movie theater. So, I just, yeah. you know, a lot of silver linings during 2020. I'm very annoying. I, I, I'm like one, one of those people that loves to comment through shows and movies. Like, don't ever, if you don't want it, don't watch it with me. Um, It's great fun. Well, speaking of the pandemic and pandemic gifts and everything. So um, tell me about how, how you, you fared during, I mean, this whole year. God, it's been, you know, we're now in where we're, well, gosh, we're now 1st of April. Happy April Fool's Day to you. Right. Um, Yeah, I know. How has that been for you? I mean, obviously like going full time as a musician and then one of these years, being com- you know completely unable to perform in person i presume f- completely unable to perform i don't know if you've done any socially distant shows but for the most part most people have not been able to yeah um it was i mean uh, i think for a lot of us one of the most challenging years of my life um just putting it all together if if i had known that 2 years after leaving my corporate job that we would get hit with a pandemic I don't know if I'd have left, but, (laughs) you know, that was that was that was God's timing, honestly. Um, You know, but to start it off, March 14th, 2020, uh, 2020 was our last like live show. Like, I just remember that night. I remember the whole week leading up to it. And that's when like things were really starting to like we weren't sure what was happening. And but you had a sense that like, okay, we're going to be in this for a while. And I just remember like we just left nothing on the floor. Like we left it all out on stage that night to the point where I ended up singing Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You because that just had a deeper meaning for me that night. And it was my way of saying thank you to everybody who has supported us up until this point because we knew we were just going to be home for a while. So I took like the first couple weeks after quarantine and did absolutely nothing. I started watching Game of Thrones because I hadn't watched it in real time. And and I was like starting to binge stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, how did people wait a whole week to watch these episodes? So there was that. Then I, I really just kind of took a like a dedication to wanting to educate the ind- people in the industry. So I would do like IG lives and Facebook lives, um, having friends on just to talk about different things in the industry, you know, different tips that people could learn if they wanted to perhaps do something new once all this was over. Um, That was my way of trying to do that and trying to help people. So I did that. And then uh, like, honestly, like I had to take a huge like mental break. So I was, I was like off social media and everything for like a whole month in May, which was perfect timing because right when I did that and I needed that for like a spiritual 
re-cleansing too, to just kind of mm-hmm. like recenter myself and get ready for the new time that we were in. The day that I got back on social media was George Floyd. And so then there was everything around Black Lives Matter and, you know, the protests and the response to the protests and having engagements there and having conversations and forums and, you know, just anything that I could do to help people understand the Black experience. Not to say that our lives mattered more than anybody else's. It was just saying like, hey, we're here, we exist, and all we want is respect. And and for some people, that was just not clicking. And I just tried to continuously be the bridge to let people know like, hey, it's okay if you have some conflicting questions and thoughts, like bring them to me, let's talk about it, rather than just everybody being so stuck in their ways. But then after a while, you know, even that got tiring because when you saw that people just were not willing to listen and not willing to to really like take in what you're telling them, you, you just kind of start to lose your, you know, motivation for that. And, um, you know, but I, I, I had also gotten re- very regrounded in my faith. I, I One of my jobs that I do is I, I, I contract with a church like right outside of Baltimore they were doing a lot of pre-recorded songs and to like for their services and things like that. So having that opportunity to do that on a regular basis during the pandemic really kept me grounded. And then, you know, I was, like I said, I was just able to really kind of find my place of peace in the midst of all this chaos. And even through all that, we were, you know, my band and I, we were doing uh, virtual concerts for a lot of like uh, clients that we had for, you know, summer festivals and things like that, since those weren't happening, we did some virtual recordings. Uh, I was doing some live stream shows, like me and a, my guitarist. And, you know, just trying to find ways to make it work and just hustle, you know. And then, you know, making music during all that time. I was, I set up a home studio, just like a little, you know, small booth where I could record my vocals. You know, I was working with producers with that. Yeah. So even though things were kind of crazy and, you know, I I knew people that had lost someone, I had lost a a, a 75 year old cousin uh, to COVID. You know, you saw how serious this virus was. There were actually like a lot of silver linings through the pandemic, you know, like especially like the community, the connection that I made with people online, like, you know, fans and followers and building those connections, like just just meeting people that I wouldn't have normally met and doing things that I would have normally done because I would have been too busy to do them. And and yeah, that, so that's, that's primarily how I got through the pandemic to say every day was, was it good? No. I mean, there was some, some days I was really down and out, really depressed and, you know, had some mental health challenges. And I, I just, I just knew I had to stay transparent with that because I knew that there were a bunch of people that were going through the very same thing. And with social media, everybody's posting highlights. So you're thinking, well, even though the pandemic's going on, people are living good because they're posting all this good stuff. But meanwhile, I'm like, no, there's there's some bad things happening. And it's okay that you recognize that those bad things are happening because that's a part of life. You know, it, it was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of a lot of stuff to process. But, you know, here we are a, a full year later. And um, I could definitely say I've come out of it a better person, a different person, a more mature person, uh, a more driven person, but, you know, with still many challenges and many things to learn. So there's 
there's been a lot of unpacking to do in the last year. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. And, you know, that there's a lot of experiences there. Sounds like there's been a lot of hurt. There's been a lot of learning. There's been a lot of healing. It's been a lot of unlearning. And as you mentioned, being that bridge helped you for a while. And it sounds like, you know, it's it's one of those where like it's it's give and take. And I think I personally feel like like our energy is sort of a tank and you can only give so much before the tank is empty and you have to either recharge or someone has to give it back to you in some way. And I'm sure people were very grateful for the the amount that you gave. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's um it's kind of like a plate, like when you're getting ready to eat and you just you fill your plate up with all this stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you were so prone to being busy all the time. And then after a while, it's like, OK, you eat a little bit here, you eat a little bit there. But then you're finding, OK, I need to scrape some stuff off because there's no way I'm going to be able to eat all this. You know, then you kind of figure out from there what you need more of, what you need less of. I think we all kind of had that that sense of reestablishing who we are and the people who mean the most to us and the the things that mean the most to us, like reestablishing priorities and, you know, just trying to figure out where you stand in, in life and where you're meant to be and what your purpose is. And and one of my friends really summed it up for me and was just saying, if you're able to handle all that you're handling now in a pandemic, just imagine what you could do when we don't have a pandemic. And it's not to say get busy all over again. It just means like, look at everything you've been through. Look at everything that we've overcome or overcoming to get to where we are right now. And it's like, if you can do all that now, when it's it's been like one of the most, like the scariest traumatic years for many of us in our lifetimes, just imagine how much power you hold when things are normal. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I don't know if you've read any of her books, but she talks about resilience. And I think what you're describing there is is that resilience, you know, and, and when you're able to overcome and you can and you see the, your own resilience and then you you're able to rely on it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, resilience is key. And I think, you know, my college education helped with that or my time at college, too, because, you know, I was I went to Virginia Tech. So I was there during the Virginia Tech massacre in um, 2007. So, you know, for people who don't know, that's day 32 lives were taken from us. And I still remember everything about that day. I remember where I was, what I was doing, everything. And and it, just to see the resiliency of a community like that in a time of tremendous pressure, um, I think really helped in building my overall foundation to just know like when things get bad, like this is how we have to rise above it. And this is how we have to we have to be present for each other. So mm-hmm. may, maybe people can, maybe you can say an event like that helped prepare me for the pandemic. But um, I mean, none of us are prepared for this. You know, none of us saw this coming. But I think that with certain skills you acquire across life, you can, you know, use some of those skills to at least help you get through when some days are harder than others. So before we were chatting and I was asking you about mental health and um, you were you were saying how you're very open, you post a lot of stuff on social media about, you know, how you're doing and what your mental health journey has been like. You're very supportive of others. My question is around in terms of mental health and masculinity and how that is perceived, but also with the added perspective of being a black man and what masculinity is like within a black community and whether you have been 
nervous to be, you know, your authentic self and talk about mental health with that lens on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a great question. It's something that that constantly needs to be addressed. Um, you know, mental health in the black community is uh, is an is a topic that doesn't get covered enough. But I think now we're starting to see a shift in that, especially as it pertains to black men, because mm-hmm. the 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 notion has always been black men have to be tough. You can't show weakness. Black men don't cry. Black men are not soft. You know, things like that. That was something that that I dealt with a lot growing up. You know, if you showed any sign of weakness, you were, you know, you were picked on you. And I was, you know, like bullied growing up and things like that. But I think honesty and transparency is a two, is the true sign of strength, because when you have the strength to talk honestly and candidly about your experiences, but then in the same way, not to say it necessarily from a woe is me standpoint, but also saying it like, how can I help somebody with what I'm going through? I think that's one of the biggest signs of uh, masculinity and, and also just in strength, you know, being confident in yourself, you know, in the, and like I said, in the black community, you know, we, we also have, have an issue where a lot of black males don't have quote unquote strong male role models to look up to. You know, it's like the, the strong black role models that we hear about may, mostly are the ones in history books. You know, when you think about a Martin Luther King, a Malcolm X, a Frederick Douglass, it go on and on and on and on and on. I'm just obviously I'm naming like the big names, but there's so many other people that that go into that. But, you know, when you have that's why I'm I'm appreciative of, you know, like the the men in my church um, when I was growing up, you know, they were the men that that taught me how to tie a tie, that taught me how to do manly things. And not to say my dad wasn't there, but it's just to say I had this this community of black men that invested their time in me. You know, also, I did a lot of classes coming up uh, with Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. So having that group of black men being invested in me and teaching me the ways to, quote unquote, be a man. But it was really more just being like, how can you be a contributing member of society? It wasn't just about if you're a black man, you have to do this. So, you know, in terms of black masculinity, you know, I, I honestly I want to be that that torch that lets other black men know it's okay to talk about your feelings. It's okay to admit when you're not okay. You know, as long as you're trying to, if you, you use it as fuel to not only encourage yourself, but also somebody else who may be in the same situation. So that's primarily how I feel about that subject. I think, like I said, again, we, we have to do better supporting black men mentally and, and letting them know that it's okay to talk about your feelings, you know, because the more you internalize things, the more it has more internal and external health effects, you know? So I, I just like to, I always like to bring light to things like that and just, you know, let people know they're not alone and just let them know that, you know, that thing that you're thinking about, that thing you're struggling with, there's somebody out here that's struggling with the same thing and we can, you know, beat it together or just at least work through it together. That's lovely. I love you. I think you're adorable. And thank you for sharing. And and thank you for, um, you know, so graciously answering my very awkwardly asked question. Um, that was where I was going with it. And I'm really grateful for your answer there. 
Yeah, no, it's it's fine. And, you know, I, again, this this kind of answers one of the things that I had talked about, you know, for during the pandemic. It was, you know, being open enough for people to ask questions about the black experience as well, because, you know, it's like this the opportunity is here now. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's aware now. You know, we we've there's been so many years that we've talked about all the oppression and you know, all the, the socioeconomic differences that we've faced, you know, since we've came to this country. And, you know, for once, like this was the first time in a very long time where we felt like, wow, people actually now really have the time to listen because it was very it was a very brief listening period, you know, where something would happen and it would be traumatic for a lot of people. People would offer, you know, thoughts and prayers. But then we get right back to whatever we're doing because we're so distracted and we're so busy. Whereas, you know, this past summer, that didn't exist. And so when people really started to see how this systemic oppression has been going on for so long, all because of a pigment, you know, like when you and I were born, we didn't know any different. It was just like, we're in this world now. And just to know that there's, people out there who will see me don't know me, but they already think things about me just based on my skin color. And that already putting us at a disadvantage is, is not right. And it's, it's not just a race thing. It's a human rights thing, you know? And and when, when we start to realize that and we recognize that, you know, I think that's when we can finally move forward and, and, you know, get closer to a place where we truly do feel united. And we truly do feel that even though we may disagree on a lot of things, that race won't be a factor of why, mm-hmm. you know, we see it. But hopefully one of these days it, it won't be like an immediate go to for, mm-hmm. you know, reasoning. No, I couldn't agree more. And thank you. Well, now that we've got 2020 out of the way, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Oh, man. Um well, I, I am looking forward to seeing people uh, get vaccinated and, you know, hopefully like the, we're starting to see some restrictions get eased and, you know, we're starting to see people get back out there a little bit and, um, you know, do some do some shows and um, people feeling like, OK, like life is sort of getting back to. A, a state of normalcy in some way. So I'm really looking forward to seeing live music come back in some capacity, even if it's not full. You know, I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing people heal, and 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 I'm really looking forward, honestly, to seeing what people learned. How how are we going to move forward from where where we were in 2020 to where we are right now? Like, if we just go back and just like it was like an on off switch. Then that to me that just shows we had, we didn't learn anything. So I'm I'm interested to see like what people really learned this year being in quarantine or being isolated, and, and you know I, I just I'm just ready to I I would just want to keep writing. I just want to keep making music, music that people are going to enjoy, people are going to have fun too, but also make people feel. Again, just wanting to continue to just help people. That's that's really that's really where I'm at in life right now. Jiro, this has been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. 
This has been really lovely. I would love to, to stay connected with you. Um, Should Have Known Better is out now, I believe. Do you have uh, another release coming out shortly? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I've been working on a few collaborations. Um, so I have a collaboration with another local artist that's coming out in May. Um, I also do have another remix that I am uh, currently working on. Um, so that expect that like early summertime. Yeah, and then it's just still writing and, and still working on stuff. So yeah, we'll see how, how things transpire in the next few months. Awesome. Well, Jero, I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, and you know what? God willing, I will be back in the United States and I can come and see a show of yours soon. Please come back, please. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying very hard. All right, Jero, thank you so much. I really fell in love with Jero during that conversation. What a lovely guy. And I really dig his single, Shoulda Known Better, which is available on all platforms to stream now. So go and check him out. William's on Insta and Spotify, and he has new music coming out very soon. Next week on the podcast, we are taking a step back from the artist profiles and getting a look at stepping into a studio with a producer. New York musician, songwriter, and producer Katie Buchanan joined top five tips for heading into the studio with a producer. You don't want to miss this one, so make sure you're subscribed to the show if you aren't already. I am Stevie Manns. Thank you so much for listening today. I will be back next week for another episode of This Next Song's About.